0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's Precious Metals News. It's Friday, January 14th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. All right, well, we're recording under primitive conditions today. I'm at my new house, which is actually a project. We're in the process of renovating. There's an electrician here. I'm in an echoey room. And you're probably going to hear background noise, but it's either that or no podcast. And honestly, we were really close to no podcast, but we're going to run with it and uh, just do the best we can with the circumstances that we have. At any rate, we are now a full year into transitory inflation. We got our CPI data for December this week. Month on month, it was, again, even hotter than expected. And, you know, that's the crazy thing about this year-long transitory moment. Virtually every month this year, the CPI has been above consensus estimates. I think it was lower than expected, maybe one month, uh, and then they hit it on the head, what, two? But pretty much every other month, I've written the words hotter than expected. And here we are again. At least, if you're looking at month on month, the uh, CPI month on month was 0.5% for December. The consensus estimate was 0.4%. Now, the annual CPI increase was 7%. That was right on projection. Uh, also, I should note that that's more than two. Right? You remember two percent inflation? We're, you know, that's that's the target, and we're at seven. Core CPI, this strips out food and energy. It's a favorite of the Fed, as if you don't have to eat or uh, buy any gasoline for your car. Uh, that was up 5.5% year on year. Goods prices were up a staggering 10.7%. That was the biggest one-year increase since 1975. And incidentally, that 7% inflation rate is the highest level since 1980. And of course, we're not really at 7%. I've gone over how the government rigs the CPI formula a couple of times on this program. The long and short of it is that it understates inflation. Think about this. If the government was still using the formula that it used in 1982, inflation would be higher in 2021 than it was then. In fact, we'd have the highest level of inflation in U.S. history. If you look at shadow stats, they actually keep a record of what the CPI would be using the old formula. It would be just over 15%. Here's an interesting little bit of math for you. Based on the methodology that the government uses to calculate housing prices, that's called owner's equivalent rent. We've talked about it before on the show. Using that housing prices were up 3.8% in 2021. So that's what's reflected in the CPI. Meanwhile, actual home prices rose about 16.5%. So if you take owner's equivalent rent out of the CPI equation and put in actual home prices in that calculation, 2021 CPI suddenly becomes 10%. Now, some people have recently claimed we shouldn't worry about inflation. They say that wages go up along with prices, so basically it's a wash, no problem. But wages are not going up as fast as prices. Real wages, that's nominal wages minus the increase of the CPI, they were down 2.4% in 2021. That means even with your raise, with your higher wages, you have lost purchasing power. And you've lost even more than the official numbers reveal, of course. If you use the honest inflation measure, real wages are down somewhere in the neighborhood of 10.4%. So, the real world you and I live in is even worse than the fantasy world that the Fed hangs out in. Unfortunately, we have to live with the consequences in the real world. I'm not really real sure those Fed people have to. We also got producer price data this week. This looked like better news, at least on the surface. The producer price index for final demand only increased 0.2% last month, but year on year, the PPI was still 9.7%. The fact that producers are still dealing with even steeper price increases than consumers indicate there is still some slack that may well get passed on to consumers. So we could continue to see these big CPI numbers moving forward into 2022. And of course, the main reason the PPI dropped was energy costs were a bit lower last month. The drop in the price of oil was particularly helpful, but the dip was likely temporary. Global Benchmark Brent Crude passed $84 a barrel on Wednesday, and leading analysts are forecasting that oil could get over $100 a barrel in the first quarter of this year, so that's going to be even more uh, inflation pressure. The most interesting thing about the latest round of inflation data was the market reaction. As you know, over the last year, the dollar has gone up and gold has dropped. On any news of hot CPI data. I've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. Instead of looking at inflation as a problem, the markets were focused on the Fed solving the problem. No need to hedge for inflation. The Fed's going to fix it. And of course, that's bad for gold. But on Wednesday, the dollar actually got clobbered and gold held steady and even charred modest gains with the CPI news. We're still over $1,800 an ounce for gold. So maybe the markets are starting starting to figure out that raising rates 1% in the face of 7% inflation and that's using again the government's numbers it's still pouring gasoline on the inflationary fire and maybe they are starting to calculate real interest rates into the in- into the equation you know, I've been pounding on this real interest rate theme and I'm going to continue to do so because the notion that the Fed is going to tighten down and rates are going to go up and we don't want to own gold because the opportunity cost is too high. This is a myth. That's been the big misperception in the markets over the last year. But, you know, just do the math. Real interest rate Uh, today is minus 7% using the government CPI number. The Federal Reserve is only talking about slowly raising rates to 2% over the next two years. If inflation remains constant, real rates would still be negative 5% after two years of hiking. This is not bad news for gold. There is no opportunity cost in minus 5% real rates. The opportunity cost is holding dollars. Peter did a video on real rates that explains the situation in detail this week, and I'm going to link to that in the show notes page if you want to get a little bit more into the weeds on that. Meanwhile, if you really thought the Fed was about to embark on a successful war on inflation, Jerome Powell's Senate testimony this week should have cleared up any confusion. Powell did something pretty amazing. He actually admitted that even when the Fed raises rates and ends quantitative easing, monetary policy will still be, this is the word he used, accommodative. I'm just going to throw out there that you don't fight high inflation with accommodative policy. Now, of course, he has to say this, right? Because I think deep down, everybody knows that the only thing propping up this bubble economy is the Fed's easy money. So, how did Powell rationalize this? Well, the supply chain problems are about to resolve and then inflation will cool, so we don't really need to tighten the monetary spigot too terribly much. In other words, he's still claiming that inflation is, say it with me, transitory. He's abandoned the term, but he is still hoping to high heaven that inflation is just going to solve itself so they don't really have to raise rates and, of course, crash the entire economy. What we have here is hope and prayer economic policy. We'll see how that works out. Meanwhile, we have Elizabeth Warren and others blaming inflation on greedy corporations price gouging. Of course, when you remember that producer prices are rising faster than consumer prices, you know this is horse crap. If anything, producers are letting consumers gouge them by not passing on all of their rising costs. But the greedy corporation narrative is great for politicians. It lets them deflect the fact that their reckless borrowing and spending is the problem. It's also empowering for them. Now they can come in and fix things. But the truth is, if the government is telling you that it's going to fix something, it probably broke it to begin with. Warren isn't the only one blaming businesses for inflation. Biden is on the bandwagon as well. He's specifically zeroed in on the meat producers. Now, overall meat prices have climbed 16% over the last year and old Joe, he's going to fix it. He's even got the blame the greedy business rhetoric down. He said, "Quote, capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. It's exploitation." So, the White House created this fact sheet telling us that four meat processing companies control 85% of the beef market, the largest four firms in the pork industry controlled 70% of the market, and 54% of the poultry market is controlled by the biggest four companies. So, Biden's plan is to distribute $1 billion in coronavirus relief funds to help independent meat packers expand their businesses. Good idea, huh? According to the AP, the plan would also allocate funding to train workers in the industry and improve work conditions. The administration would also issue new rules for meat packers and labeling requirements for being designated, quote, a product of the USA. But I've still got questions. How did a few big corporations come to dominate the meatpacking industry? Biden would have you believe it's just the inevitable march of capitalism. Greedy corporations get bigger and bigger and swallow up the little guy. Now, if you believe this narrative, high meat prices stem from corporate greed and the inherent evils of the free market. But here's the plot twist. It wasn't capitalism or greedy corporations that caused this consolidation in the meatpacking industry. Surprise! It was the federal government. Congress broke the meat supply chain decades ago. The Wholesome Meat Act of 1967 mandates that meat must be slaughtered and processed at a federally inspected slaughterhouse or in a facility inspected in a state with meat inspection laws at least as strict as the federal requirements. Small processors, amazingly, found it difficult, if not impossible, to meet the federal requirements. The cost was simply too high. Of course, large corporations can bear this regulatory burden. As a result, the meat processing industry went through a massive consolidation after the enactment of this act. Since the passage of the Wholesome Meat Act, the number of slaughterhouses dropped from more than 10,000 to 2,766 in 2019. Today, instead of hundreds of companies processing meat, three corporations control virtually the entire industry. Now, to hear Powell and Biden and Warren and all these people say it... Supply chain issues are the problem. But here's the fun fact. The lack of adequate processing capacity due to consolidation was already causing supply chain issues in the meat industry back in 2015. A report by the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund sounded the warning at that time, quote, the bottleneck caused by the lack of slaughterhouses has frustrated small livestock operations in getting their products to market and has led to an inability to meet." the overall demand for locally produced meats. The 1967 act has become one of the worst laws ever passed for local food. What's more, it was known from the beginning that the act would have the effect that it did. End quote. So it comes as no surprise that these regulations caused a massive consolidation of the meat processing industry. In fact, people warned it would happen when they were debating this bill. And it's no surprise that this consolidation has led to supply chain breakdowns. Centralized systems are always brittle systems. They lack redundancy. They lack escape valves. They are prone to fail under stress. This is true of supply chains, economies, and of course, governments. In other words, This was entirely predictable. But now Biden wants to fix what the federal government broke by throwing more money at it, huh? So here's an idea. Why not just do away with the federal control? Of course, supporters of all of this federal intervention are going to scream safety. But if the Wholesome Meat Act was really about food safety, it doesn't even deliver on its own terms. By concentrating meat processing in a relatively few facilities, the likelihood of widespread contamination actually increases. A single sick cow can now infect thousands of pounds of beef in one of these corporate slaughterhouses. In a more diversified, decentralized system, outbreaks generally remain limited to small regions. Farm-to-Consumer Legal Defense Fund reported that the Wholesome Meat Act has not led to the production of safer meat today. There are more recalls than ever for positive pathogen tests in meat products you seldom saw nationwide recalls in the area or in the era of diversified meat processing this is exactly why ronald reagan said the most the most terrifying words in the english language are i'm with the government and i'm here to help but you know In a sense, Biden is correct. The U.S. needs more players in the meat industry. But the government created the problem, and there is zero self-reflection or ownership of responsibility, only promises to fix what they already broke. So let's review. The federal government broke the meat processing industry, industry to make it safer, and it didn't even make the industry safer. Now the federal government is going to fix the meat industry, but it's still going to keep us safe. Forgive me if I'm skeptical. You know, this is the clown world that we live in. Trying to protect wealth in this world is the big challenge. This is why it's a good time to call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can just call 1 888 Gold 160, or you can shoot them an email to infoshiftgold.com. They will look at your uh, investment goals, your portfolio what you're trying to do with your wealth, and they will help you understand how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So give them a call today. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more information about all of these stories and more, and keep up with the latest precious metals news over at shipgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on the Shift Gold YouTube channel, on Stitcher. You'll find links to all of these things over on the show notes page. You'll also find links to our social media channels. So check all of that out. I thank you for listening. I apologize again for the echoiness and whatever background noise you might have heard. But at least we got the podcast out. I hope you have a great Friday, and I'll talk to you next week.